You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? Well, we have another interesting movie to talk about this week. I don't know. I guess, do I use the word interesting too much when I talk about movies? I I don't know. I, I feel like... I feel like we have kind of fallen into that as like a go-to word for the show, but uh, I, sometimes it's really difficult to to say things another way, you know? I mean, sometimes I don't know if I want to say it's a good movie or it's a bad movie. It's just like, it makes me think. It makes me, it's in, it intrigues me. It makes me uh, want to talk to other people about it, but saying whether or not it's good or bad just kind of like, kind of puts a definitive on it and like, it just stops the conversation, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like uh, it's like those old sales tactics they always preach to you at retail jobs, right? Ask open-ended questions instead of just, do you want this, you know? like. But I mean, I think, you know, movies are, are, are extremely multifaceted. And I, I think as we progress as, you know, film connoisseurs and uh, purveyor of all things cinema, they, we attempt to broaden our subjectivity to the nature of what we're talking about and and i think that that's a good thing i i I think that you know sometimes a movie doesn't have to just be good or bad i i think that uh again you know saying that something is interesting is is a i mean maybe we do use it too much but (laughs) i I think it's in the uh, hope of of finding better better terminology that opens up conversation versus just a a definitive black and white statement of yes or no or good or bad or great or shit like you know (laughs) whatever the case may be fair i i I like that i like that i that uh stipulation so we're talking about the cat the the tax collector uh this week the newest movie from david Ayer, and uh i mean I mean, I can. I'll say right now before we get into our deep dive or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I liked it, just wasn't great. Interesting. <laughs> There's that word again. <laughs> There's that word again. There's that word again. But before we that, just, like, oh, we just make like a sidebar drinking game out of uh, out of the Mitch and Rich show, and you just you take a, a drink every time we say interesting. Yep, that would be that'd be, definitely be one of them that you could do. Yeah. Good work. Uh, but like I was to say, the let's talk about a couple things first. Did you yourself make it to the movie theater this week? Now that they're open in certain cities, maybe to catch Tenet. Um, as much as I would love to support Christopher Nolan and the movie Tenet, uh, I think it looks absolutely fascinating, and I enjoy. I would say most of his filmography I have thoroughly enjoyed. I think there's maybe a few here or there that uh, didn't land as well with me, but overall, I, I really like his work. But um, no, I, 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 I don't know. I really don't feel good about going to the theater yet. Um, and maybe that's just movie. what's that? I said I'm in the same boat as you. I, I don't really feel good about going to the theater yet. Like, just the two hours in a enclosed area with other people that are potentially sick or could potentially get sick just does not feel comfortable to me. Yeah, I no, I I totally agree. And and you know, there's this um there's this like duality inside of me though with it because I, I there's the part of me that doesn't feel that it's the right time or that it's safe enough to go back and there's a part of me that thinks about all the workers from like a health standpoint who are inevitably opening them, uh, themselves up to exposure. But then there's the other side of me that's like, I love this industry. I, I even though I haven't been going to the theaters much because, you know, my life's been a lot busier and I've had a lot of other things I've had to prioritize, unfortunately, over going to the, the movie theater. There's this other side of me that's like, okay, well, sure, those people are putting their health at risk, but those people still need 
you know, money coming in to pay their bills and those companies still need it. And, you know, cinemas in general were kind of already not in the greatest place. So it's it's really a, a, a horrific catch 22 for me. Like, I feel very guilty about not going and supporting. But at the same time, I I feel like it's just really not safe to do so yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like. I just. I had a point and I lost it. Uh, was there something that came out that you were curious if I had gone to watch at the theater? No. I, no. I mean, I, I honestly, I want to see the three movies that have kind of come out. I want to see Tenet. I want to see New Mutants just for the the gimmick of it because I don't think it's going to be a good movie. But uh, And I also wanted to see Bill and Ted's Face the Music. Oh, I know what I wanted to bring up. No. Yes. So, in a normal movie run... Uh, it's usually what three to four months after it's in the box office that are in the theaters that it's going to show up on uh VOD or, you know, iTunes for rent or whatever like that. Right. Um, I mean, I think that, yeah, I would say maybe that's a good, there's fluctuation of course, depending on the studio and the distributor and all that. But yeah, I mean, for argumentative sake, that's a good timeline. Okay. So, if it was to follow the three months, like if it were to follow four months, uh, when it first was originally supposed to come out, we, we definitely would have had it by Christmas time. This time, now we'd be pushing it if we have it on VOD by Christmas time. Do you think they will do that so that it's out for people to watch uh, as soon as possible? Or do you think they'll hold off so that this can stay in the theater as long as it possibly can and maybe get more box office that way? Uh, for tenant, you mean? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's a really, it's a really tr- a tricky situation. I, I think in in, I think if if they were to play it smart, they would do it in theater, but then get it to VOD as quickly as possible. But at the same time, leave it in theaters as long as possible. Because the reality behind it too is is there's not a lot of films left really in the pipeline to come out right now. I think there's still a lot of studios that are on the fence about, you know, pushing their films to cinemas at the moment versus waiting until people feel safer and, and you know, there's kind of maybe some more light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic to, to be calming down in a way, right? Uh, so I don't think it would hurt anything for them to leave it as, as open, um, endedly into the the theaters because it's not like there's going to be a lot of things it's not like theaters are going to run out of screens to possibly show tenant on right is my guess um but at the same time it's just like what we were talking about i mean there's a huge huge chunk of people that are just not ready to risk their lives um you know which might sound extreme but the reality of the the virus is is that we just don't know it you know it, it doesn't impact some people other people are are dying very quickly um you know so it's it's a very broad spectrum and it's it's almost like kind of rolling the dice on your life and you know some people sure are going to probably feel safe enough to go do it and and you know that's totally fine um i just think the mass populace is not and I think we've seen that. I mean, I think we've seen that in the numbers for New Mutant. I think we're going to see that in the numbers for Tenet. Um, I just don't quite think that the masses are ready to return to theaters. And I also don't think the theaters themselves uh, can can match that capacity in a safe way. And most of the theaters that I've kind of seen talk about their strategies are limiting their seating to, you know, maybe 30 to 40% capacity at best. And so even if you could do this, I mean, you're also looking at extended cleaning times of the theaters between each showing. So, I mean, you can't run the same number of showings that you did prior to COVID. Uh, so I, I just think there's a lot of outside components to it as well that I, I don't think we're going to see a huge uptick in movies that are going to be released to theaters this year. So I don't think it's going to hurt them to leave it in the theater. But I also don't really, at this point, especially looking at, you know, Bill and Ted went to VOD basically the same day that it that it came out to theaters. Um, there's been a couple other movies like Mulan, uh, obviously is hitting Disney plus, I think Friday it hit, um, yeah, last Friday it, it, yeah, it, it hit for what they're calling 
special engagement VOD, I think is what it's called, or something like that. It's it, it's you pay the extra, I want to say thirty dollars on mm-hmm. your Disney Plus account, and you get to have it on your Disney Plus account uh, for as long as you have a Disney Plus account. So, I mean, it's almost like a weird, it's almost like buying it in a way then, right? Or like leasing it, which is often the case with a lot of digital purchasing is that we're not actually purchasing things. We're leasing them through a, a digital distribution platform these days. Right. Um, which is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think Mulan makes a, it sounds excessive, right? You're like, oh, $30 for kind of like a, a rental. But when you think of it that way, it's it's more of like a long-term lease that you're kind of like signing uh, to watch that movie. But it's a disney movie it's it's marketed towards kind of like younger audiences and kids and so i mean if you have or a family, family what's yeah. that families it's 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 marketed towards families so i mean so yeah. you can take your kids too right so you, more than likely you're gonna have uh um you know uh a set of parents and probably a couple kids so that's already going to be 80 bucks mm-hmm. with uh, snacks and stuff like that if you go to the movie theater so yeah that's me you're making out for they're making out for only 30 bucks yeah yeah i I mean if you're just a you know someone like us or like an adult that or you know even a younger adult that uh is is you know leasing it to kind of like watch it yourself you're kind of maybe not winning in that situation i guess but i understand disney's point and you know i i think that's i think that's going to be interesting thing to see again there's there's the word take a shot everybody um i think it's going to be one of those things that might be telling to see which we, I don't think we will. I don't think Disney's going to release anything on it, but to see how much revenue Mulan makes versus how much money like Tenet made, which isn't necessarily a fair comparison because Tenet is not a family movie. I believe it's rated R, um, maybe PG-13. I don't know exactly, but you know, so, so again, there's not going to be a directly fair comparison there. Cause, but I think the situation is, is that if you can get more money out of a $30 long-term lease by going VOD versus what Tenet is doing, going to theaters with extremely limited audiences, that might be a good telling sign of what we might start seeing some more of, at least until people are ready to go back to theaters. And, you know, there's kind of this downward trend of, of the pandemic, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 i don't know i i i just i i want theaters to do well too i just i i just want people to be safe <laughs> i don't know how else to put it but uh either way worldwide this past weekend christopher nolan's tenant did 150 million uh in the box office so um obviously nowhere near what they need to make to make back this the the budget of this movie but in the middle of a pandemic still pretty good i mean that and that was worldwide numbers in just the us the limited us and canada it was 20 million yeah i mean that's pretty rough right i mean yeah. it, what what was the do you know what the production budget for this was uh i th- saw an article somewhere where someone said they it needed to make 500 million to to make itself make its money hmm well my only thought process uh, that i have with this is that a I, I have a feeling the production budget was quite high i would say it's probably 250 to 400 million somewhere in that ballpark maybe mm-hmm. um and then we know that they had a huge marketing campaign they delayed it they had another big marketing campaign they delayed it and, you know, so, I mean, they, they've had to have spent, and again, I'm very liberally like ballparking this, but I would speculate another hundred to 300 million probably in marketing this movie. So, yeah, I mean, you're probably already just to break even looking at like the $600 million mark or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you're opening weekend to 150 million globally is not really traditionally a very good indicator of that. It's not, that's, I'm not saying that's not a lot of money. 150 is a lot of money on any day. Uh, but when you're already into something for 600 million and, you know, traditionally the other side of the, that equation is, is that movies more often than not have like anywhere between, I would say maybe like a 40 to 80% drop off in revenue from opening weekend to their second weekend. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, yeah, that's rough. I mean, that's that's very rough. But again, it's like you said, it's it's I don't think really it's the movie's fault or there's really kind of anyone to blame in this scenario. It's it is the pandemic and it is showing itself in in a very ugly way here for for the for the movie. And I think at this point, if you're someone in the studio, sure, leave it in the theater. But again, I, I think you have to go to some sort of rental thing. You, you're going to have to move quickly to start recouping some of that money, I, I would think. You would think, yeah. Uh, so according to let's uh, a Screen Rant article, uh, the budget is reported to be around 200 to $225 million. Uh, if close. you if yeah, if you go according to uh, this calculation, it says four hundred million to recoup its cost. However, it's been reported that Tenant needs to earn eight hundred million to break even. Yeah, I, I, that doesn't surprise me because this is the thing that a lot of people forget is that you usually when we hear that budget number, that's just a production budget. It doesn't include marketing or really any of the distribution side. It often also doesn't include anything with like points on the back end, which are, are dividends that have to be paid out to investors, studio actors. I mean, producers like all these other people that are involved to traditionally get a chunk of the pie as well. So that really is not. I mean, people might hear that and be like, wow, it needs to make 800 million to break even. That's insane. And it's like, yeah, that's that's kind of been the film industry for a while now. That's why we have so many massive comic book movies that need to make like a billion dollars in order to be constituted. I mean, you, you take Batman v Superman, which I think brought in, um, gosh, what did it bring in? Like 800 800 million 850 or 870 million or something close to 800 uh, million yeah and it was it was basically i don't want to say it was considered a flop that's too harshly but it it underperformed expectations and was not necessarily a, a financial success for them in the box office and that's at 800 million you know and it, it's it sounds absolutely insane but these are the numbers that these movies have to make in order to be successful and if you need 800 million and you just brought in 150 knowing that you might see a 40 percent or larger decline in your box office going into your second weekend that's tough now granted that is traditionally because other movies come out and there's other things that get in the way of you kind of seeing those retention numbers as you go through your box office release but you know i don't know we'll see because this might be an indicator that everyone who felt like taking the risk to go watch this movie uh might be done or you know it might be a situation where People look at it and say, okay, well, all these people went, things are fine, I'll go. I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if there's, uh, again, there's the word. Uh, it, I would like to see if there's an up uptick in viewership and return to theaters after we start seeing if there's any direct connection to an increase in COVID cases now that theaters have reopened. I don't think we'll see those numbers because there's a lot of things going on with them, but... Uh, that's where if I was someone in the industry, I'd be kind of trying to look at that equation. And I think once we get maybe two to three weeks into all of these theaters being reopened, we'll have a much better statistical analysis of where things might go. So just to put it in perspective, uh, Inception had a one reported 160 million uh, budget and Interstellar had 165 million. And the the gross for Inception was eight hundred and sixty nine million, and in Interstellar was six hundred ninety eight million. Oof. So, Ugh, that's it's rough, man. It's really it's so rough too because it's I'm sure it's no fault of of anyone. Like I'm sure the movie's fantastic. It's just people. Well, most people just aren't ready. I mean, I, like I said, I haven't seen it myself, but I have been hearing mixed reviews of the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mixed interesting. Reviews. Ah, there's the word. Gosh, we do say it too much. My gosh. It's just the, it's a good word. It's, 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 it really puts out there what it is you want to talk about, what you want to say, right? I'm just trying to get people day drunk now. <laughs> all these people are on their treadmills trying to walk and like listen to us. And the, there's like, oh gosh, I got to take another shot. The funny thing is that I always, 
listen to podcasts when I'm driving, so I just assume people are driving. And you're you're talking about people listening to us on a treadmill. Tells you where our two minds are. Well, I only went that direction because of the pandemic, and I felt like most people aren't driving anywhere anymore, so they're now on the treadmill trying to like keep their sanities. That's fair. Uh, speaking of sanity, oh, what a, what a what a segue, right? Yeah, I yeah, it was unplanned. One of the one of the most possibly not sane actors in the movie industry right now is Tom Cruise, and uh-huh. there has been some set footage from the currently shooting Mission Impossible Seven uh, that made its way online of Mr. Cruise on a ramp on a dirt bike, like flying off a cliff as a helicopter films him and a drone is like in front of him. Yeah. And there's like a helicopter, a drone. There's like a giant crane. There's like a camera dude hanging off the edge of a cliff. (laughs) I mean, he's, he's literally like (laughs) driving this motorcycle into a crater. I don't know what, what, what else you got. Canyon. And, you know, the motorcycle goes goes away and he pulls a parachute and flies down. I don't know what the sequence of this, uh, if, if he's supposed to be parachuting in this, if he was supposed to grab onto a helicopter or something, you know, at some point. But uh, what do you think? I mean, what do you think about Tom Cruise and, and all these stunts? Like, it's been said that he, he and Christopher McQuarrie just kind of come up with set pieces that they want to do and then they form a movie around that. I wouldn't be surprised if that is the way that they work, but I mean, it's definitely working for them. Uh, I mean, the other thing that's insane and and we'll see what happens, but I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about like Tom Cruise actually filming part of a movie in literal space. Oh, it's Um, not speculation. He's doing it. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Well, okay. That's fair. Like they haven't actually started it, but like he's, they've gotten with SpaceX and they've come to an agreement. They're going to make a movie in outer space. Like, right. If it gets, right. I mean, obviously movies are always talked about and in, in, in greenlit, but never get made all the time. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll happen. I, I, I'm, I'm the, the biggest thing is, is I, I think, especially when you're dealing with films and, and he and, and Tom Cruise himself has had this issue before of, of finding places where insurance companies and things like that will actually let you film that. And that's again, that's another thing, like sending a human being into space to film a movie is. Uh, it's one of those things where I don't know. They're, they're, you got to find somebody equally on footing with with where you're at mentally to be like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and and let you do that. I'm sure it'll happen though. It's Tom Cruise. Uh, he makes things happen in the industry, so I, I'm sure we will see it. And and when you said ramp, I just want to reiterate that if you see the actual picture of this with the scale of the helicopter in the shot, ramp is a is a very mild way of describing this. It's, I mean, it's what would you call it? I don't know. It is gigantic, though. I mean, it is like you literally see the helicopter and the drone. First off, the drone in the shot looks like a speck of dust on a camera lens. Um, (laughs) And then once you get a different angle, you realize it's a drone. I mean, even the helicopter in this opening shot looks remarkable. I mean, like this is the type of ramp that you would expect Evil Knievel to jump the Grand Canyon with. I mean, this thing is massive. (laughs) Um, absolutely massive. I, again, I, I uh, the location looks really beautiful. Uh, I have no idea where they're at. No idea what the context of the of the scene or the movie is. But uh, I'm interested. I, I I I mean, I have to give props to Tom Cruise. Like, I mean, he goes for it, and he makes movies that people want to watch. And I mean, I'm there for it. I mean, I, I I'll watch him in anything. Like, you know, I I, I admire. I would never do it. I would be like, no, that's why we have stunt people. Sorry. Like, thank you. Not gonna, yeah. But no, I mean, he did that. I mean, the the whole sequence uh, in the last, uh, one of the last Mission Impossibles where he basically, you know, jumped out of the plane and they had to come up with all this crazy way to actually attach a giant cinematic camera rig to someone else's head to jump out and film him doing it. Like, oh, yeah, we talked about that on the podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy is definitely uh, passionate and, and insanely involved with the, with the craft. And uh, I, I think it's undeniable what he's put up on the screen. And I'm very curious to see how this plays out in the movie. Like, is the ramp a part of it? Is that getting CGI'd out? I'm, I'm speculating maybe it is, but I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm very curious to see where it's going to go. Like what's going to happen. 
I mean, how do you top going to outer space? Like, if that's if it actually happens, what what other kind of stunt do you think that he's going to try and pull? I mean, this is the seventh Mission Impossible movie. It's supposed to be shooting seven and eight at the same time, so eight has to have some type of grand uh, stunt as well, right? Like, it's literally going to have to be like. I don't know. I, he's going to have to survive going through a wall or something. <laughs> well, and it's funny, too, because traditionally, when we talk about these sequels, you don't go to space until you get to the 10th movie. I know. Well, so, I, the, the mission, the, the space movie isn't necessarily a Mission Impossible movie. This is true. This is true. That, yeah, that's very true. I, I, but, but you're right. I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know how you keep going larger and larger and larger. I, I don't know. I mean, that's beyond my level of insanity when it comes to creativity and stunts, I guess. I I don't even know if I could watch this as a director. Like, I think I would just be, like, laying on the ground with, like, my head covered and be like, just somebody tell me when it's over, first AD, you call cut, let me know if he's alive or whatever. I don't want to see this. Like, it's it, this looks absolutely nutty. <laughs> The 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 high-altitude jump you talked about in the, from the last Mission Impossible movie, that was still from... Uh, a plane though right yeah it looked like it was a, a a personnel carrier like type of plane like i don't it wasn't as big as like a what is it an a- ac-130 or whatever it wasn't that big but i mean it, it was definitely a pretty large plane um that looks like it was meant to just like transport troops or something and yeah basically halo jumps in from like low atmosphere can you uh do what if he did like uh one of those like off the platform of a uh a, a satellite thing like isn't that what the um the guy from the Red Bull jump did like wasn't that off of a uh a space station or something I don't remember I I don't remember either but it was it, I I believe he was also in very limited or zero maybe not zero but very limited atmosphere as well and but I mean I I don't know I mean I, I, like you're in space oh again maybe it's another movie but still i i, I yeah i don't know i i just uh I, you know i don't know where you keep going with these things and even the motorcycle stuff i mean he, he did the motorcycle stuff in the last one it was pretty good but i mean they also had all the crazy motorcycle stuff in mission impossible 2 yeah yeah i mean i don't know i mean i think at some point you're gonna run out of impossible mission things like at some point it's just gonna be mission like it, it's not even impossible anymore he's doing he's already done the impossible you can't call it imf anymore it's just he's, mf it's just mission force now he's gonna get some kind of like surgery done to like have robotic parts or something <laughs> i don't know it's it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be crazy I mean, uh, I would I would watch it. I mean, if he did Cyberpunk the movie with him and Keanu Reeves and he actually put like androidic, you know, robotic parts in his body and became the first person to merge with machine, I I'm there. Let's go. I'll watch it. Why not? Okay, so then to change the subject one last time, mm-hmm. uh do you remember in 2004 going to the movie theater because I'm pretty sure we would together uh and watching Zack Snyder's remake mm. of Dawn of the Dead, written yeah. by Gun. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. do? Yeah, it, it kind of actually, uh, I think, really revitalized uh, the zombie genre and and brought it to kind of the forefront of uh, the time period and really opened the doors for Robert Kirkman and The Walking Dead and like the onslaught of zombie movies we got for a really long time. And they seem to have tapered off to a, a small degree l- lately. Uh, but uh, I have a feeling we might be seeing a resurgence we just might as be. a real zombie can't stay dead. Neither can their, you know, fictional counterparts. Uh, <laughs> not that they were ever non-fictional. Uh, Christ, I hope not anyway, but you know what I mean? The, the yeah. non-fictional business side of creating zombie genre movies, I think, might be seeing a resurgence or a reanimation, if you will. If you will, there you go. So, uh, yes, Zack Snyder has been working on a, uh, a Netflix original called Army of the Dead. Uh, it stars Dave Bautista and uh, Theo Rossi and Omari Hardwick and Tignatero. I mean, it's Garrett Dillahunt, and it's it's got a quite a bit of people in it. You know um, what it you know what it takes to make a great zombie movie. What does it take to make a great zombie movie? Brains. <laughs> 
That was bad. I know it's so bad. I'm so sorry, everybody. You can cancel your uh, your thing for listening to me. I'm canceled. I'm canceled <laughs> yeah. with my cancel my bad. Geekly, you can still listen yeah. to this. No, just me. Just me. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'll uh, come back. I'll reanimate. It's true. It's very true. Yeah, uh, it's a well, huge ensemble cast, though. Huge ensemble cast. The movies they've been working on it for a while. I think it got shut down a little bit for COVID, uh, but. Uh, Netflix has gone ahead and greenlit a prequel film to the to the movie and an anime s- series for the would, film. So would you look at that? Would you look at that? Um, first, like, were you a big fan of the 2004 Dawn of the Dead remake? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I thought. I mean, it was kind of the first time we saw like zombie. I mean, it was the first time I recall ever at least seeing zombies like full on sprinting. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was the I mean, like, there's like a part where there's like a, a baby zombie born out of a person, like terrifying. I mean, it's absolutely grotesquely terrifying. Which, in looking back on it, feels very James Gunn at that time. I, I hope I think he's changed a little bit since then, but um, yeah. And, and I mean, from a directorial standpoint as well, I, I, there it's a really solid movie. I mean, visually, it's great. Uh, the acting is is really good for what it is. I mean, yeah, I'm totally in it. I, the only thing I've I've seen of this new thing is like a, a shot of like kind of the cast in like full military garb. And I mean, again, anytime you can get a bunch of people together with a bunch of crazy weapons, killing all kinds of zombies, I'm there. That's uh, awesome. I'm totally on board. What about you? I mean, I uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the 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 2004 movie. Um, it's it's a really great up at uh update to the the original and. And uh, really, it put both Zack Snyder and James Gunn on my radar of as uh, filmmakers. So I was, I'm super glad that that was uh, their their a thing that they did. Um, I don't know how I feel about the army that because after Dawn of the Dead, we had a series of movies that kind of followed that timeline because mm-hmm. not not Vin Diesel, uh, Vin Grames, uh, kind of stars in all of them, and it was what land of the dead and day of the dead and diary of the dead and stuff like that so i don't know if this is a continuation or not um but sure i I, i'll i'll i'm in for it it says uh the prequel will be directed by and star uh a name that i don't know and i don't want to try i don't (laughs) want to picture it so look up the article it's on variety um it will follow his character of ludwig deiter uh, from Army of the Dead, the film will be produced by the Snyder's and Kohler of the Stone Quarry, along with once again his Norwegian name that I don't want to butcher. Um, so that's cool. It's going to be following uh, the prequel will follow that character, whereas the anime series Army of the Dead Lost Vegas will chronicle the origin story of Batista's character and his rescue crew during the initial fall of Vegas as they confront the mysterious source of the zombie outbreak. Zack Snyder will direct two episodes of the series and it will be showrun by Jay Oliva. Yep, see him at Batista. I, I, I really I've really grown to like him a lot as as a huh? I said I know. I was I was agreeing with you. I know like uh when you saw him in uh Blade Runner 2049 you were a huge fan of his. Yeah, yeah. I mean again he's got a very small subtle part in that. Um but yeah, I really like him. So, you know, and, and of course, like the dude looks like he's built to go to combat with zombies as well. So even better, like for sure. But I think he I don't know. I think he's one of those people that don't really get enough credit. And and I, I think he hasn't had a lot of the right opportunities to also or maybe he hasn't wanted to take them. I don't know. But I feel like he does have this capability of such a, a, a great range. And I feel like he doesn't often get to explore it. Granted, this is going to be more in like a stereotypical wheelhouse, I think, of what most people would expect because of, you know, the fact that he's so muscular, right? Like seeing him in action and going full ham on a bunch of undead pumpkin heads and just smashing and doing all that sort of stuff. Like maybe isn't going to be that movie to kind of do that. But I don't know. He's he's grown on me a lot as a as a performer. And, uh, you know, of course, you got. Uh, maybe not in in just in the I guess the initial concept you've got Michael Jai White in there too, which I've always kind of liked him and and things as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I think you're. I think this has a really strong uh, potential to 
do what Zack Snyder did last time with zombies. And obviously he's already got three kind of like additional movies and like series coming out of like one concept. So somebody at Netflix was like, yeah, like bring them all back. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how do, you, how do you feel about him coming back for this movie? Like, or coming back to the the zombie genre? Like, I, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, people enjoyed that movie a lot, and it'd be a good thing to come back to. But is it is it with his filming style, like, is it a good thing? Like, is his storytelling changed in a way after doing all these superhero movies and stuff like that? Like, is it still going to be the same? Is it going to, is it going to be a good thing to come back to? I mean, I think so. Uh, I mean, I feel like, you know, he, he, yes, he did a lot of the comic book movies and his style, I think naturally kind of lent itself pretty well to what people expected from the comic book genre. But, I mean, if we look at, you know, the original Dawn of the Dead, I mean, he's very capable of, well, the remake, I guess, shouldn't call it the original, but the one that he did in 2004, if you look at that, I mean, it has its own unique look. And, I mean, he also did, a lot of people haven't seen this, and and most people probably won't ever watch it, but he also did a a short film that he shot or had shot. I mean, I don't know, I'm sure there was a cinematographer involved as well, but he also made a short that was filmed on an iPhone. And it doesn't look anything like a comic book movie. I mean, there's little elements of his style, which, again, do lend themselves to what you might expect from a comic book. But it doesn't feel innately like what you would just expect from, like, a comic book movie. So I, you know, and for him, I mean, he has had success in the comic book realm. I mean, obviously, The Watchmen was was quite successful for him. He's had some not so great receptions with, you know, like, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. So, you know, I think him kind of taking a step away from that and and pursuing something a little bit different, but, you know, something that's also still larger than life would normally have it be, I think is a good venue for him to go uh, with. So, yeah, I, I could totally see it, you know. And again, zombie movies have 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 kind of slowed down a little bit. I mean, The Walking Dead's still there, but... It's not nearly, at least, and maybe I'm ignorant on this, but I don't see it talked about nearly as much. It doesn't seem to be as, you know, in the spotlight of, of you know, pop culture currently. So it's a pretty good time to, you know, maybe take the attempt now because it's cooled down a little bit. It's not so oversaturated. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, when that movie comes out, I'm sure we'll end up talking about it. Yeah. I mean, do you want to see him go back to it? Do you do you think it would it's a good thing? I don't know. I'm on both sides, I guess. I guess uh it almost to me it seems like it'd kind of be a reset. Not that he needs to reset, but like it'd be like, hey, let's see what I can do with the kind of material that I started off with. Like I know that's not his it wasn't his first first movie, but like it was his first breakout kind of movie, right? And I think that but then I also think, like, why go back to that well? Start Just start doing new things. Like, you don't need to do more superhero movies or comic book movies, but just start doing other stuff. But hmm. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to watch it. That's for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> uh, speaking of doing new things, David Ayer. We're going to talk about David Ayer's The Tax Collector. First off, what did what, what's your initial thought of the movie, like, overall? Well, actually, if I may, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I'd, I'd like to do a little different this time, I think. Oh, okay. Because um, I think people will get where, where I'm going to go with this. Uh, and I mean, I think you alluded to where you were at uh, earlier. You know, you said you um, you called it, I believe, interesting. And then you asked if you would use the word interesting too much. Yeah. Two more shots for everyone playing at home. Um <laughs> But you said that because you didn't want to necessarily say that it was bad, but you certainly also didn't want to say that it was good, right? Right. Right. Okay. So if I may, I would like to do a little bit of a exercise with you on on maybe unfolding why you feel that way. Okay. Okay. So let's start off this way. Uh, Mitch, if you could, 
tell the mu- the the viewers, listeners, whatever, um, what this movie is about. So this movie is about a mid-level gang boss that uh, finds himself essentially in a bad situation as another gang cartel comes and takes over his his gang's territory and uh, when he doesn't initially submit they uh, spoilers they start killing off of his people and uh, it to the point where they kidnap his kids kill his wife uh, kill his best friend and force his hand and uh, I believe the rest of his gang is also killed. Hmm. Interesting. It sounds a little confusing. It, it is a little confusing. I, Interesting. I that. Yeah, there's there's another shot for you playing a, along at home. <laughs> okay, so now if you will, we have a basic idea of, of what happens in this 90 minute approximate film. Yep. Again, there is a lot of confusion as to who let's let's go there who are our characters mitch so your main character the the, the story revolves around uh david played by bobby soto and his right hand man creeper played by shia labeouf which talking of things that sound insane um he got a full real life gigantic yep. chess piece Tattoo. That says creeper. That's a tattoo. That's real. It's very real for this role that he plays a supporting character in. And I believe he doesn't even take off his shirt. <laughs> There's one scene where he's oh, fully okay. naked. Um, and you okay? There's maybe three shots, three yeah. or four shots where he's fully naked, and you can kind of see it. Okay. Okay. So you've you've told us their names. But who are our characters? Who are they really? I mean, so one, you don't really know anything about David's character. Like you don't, they don't spend nearly enough time with him other than the fact that he's a family man. He he has a family. He has, I didn't quite understand who some of the, if the kids, some of the kids were related to another mother or not, or how some of the people were related, but he has a wife and there is a quinceanera going on at one point and you know it's just he is i i don't quite understand the whole tax collecting part like if if these the people that that him and shia are collecting money from are part of their gang or if they're just collecting money from other people that are operating in their area kind of thing i don't quite understand but they spend a lot of time on building up the creeper character and how badass he is and how dangerous he is and how he's a killer and you know he'll do all kinds of stuff and you know sometimes uh david's uh wife won't even let creeper be in the house because it's just not good for the kids kind of stuff like it's it's don't keep creeper around kind of thing uh but yeah you don't i mean you don't really have much in the character development in any of these people well, first off, I would just say that it's a a very good thing to never keep creepers around your kids ever. Um, that's probably just a good general safety tip. Uh, okay, so we don't really know who David is, right? That's a right. fair consensus. I think so. Yeah. Do you do we feel like we know who Creeper is? No, you don't. You just know that you just know his reputation uh, throughout the movie. Like you, you right. kind of. And that's that's the best thing for his character as a supporting character is that you just know him for his reputation, but you expect to see results of that uh, reputation play out. It's almost like uh, Schrodinger's not Schrodinger, uh, Chekhov's gun, right? Like you keep talking about it, so it should happen, right? I would tend to agree with you on that, but but here's here's my whole point. Okay, actually, wait. Let me um, we'll get to that. Let me ask you yet again another question because I'm just in the mood for twenty questions. Apparently, okay. Do you like any of these characters? Do you feel connected to any of them? And do you identify with anything they do in this movie? No, not okay. One. <laughs> right, okay. So thus by proxy, if all of that is true. 
what reason do you have to care about this movie at all? I feel like that you're probably supposed to care for David and uh, his family. Like you, you, I mean, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Whether or not this all got lost in the editing, whether or not uh, David Ayer just decided to go in a different way, I have no idea. Um, I don't think that he would because he made End of Watch, which has two characters in it that I care deeply about by the time we get to the end of that end of that movie. And I'm very upset when, you know, it results in the way that it results. So I can't imagine that he wouldn't do the same here. If that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And that's why I, I and I agree. I agree with everything you just said. And I, I, I am trying so hard to like, not just like, hate on this movie because i think this lends itself as a great opportunity for anybody that's listening to this to learn how to tell or look for a compelling story because you're right david is the protagonist of this story and yet i give zero f's about him there is nothing that makes me care about him at all in this movie period even when they open up this like styrofoam cooler and his uncle's head is in the box i don't care <laughs> I, I don't I have nothing that tells me anything about this character what he believes what he wants like none of that is there and then on top of it he's he's almost like he almost doesn't make any choices in the entire movie until the last five minutes yeah he goes just on this journey so nonchalantly of like oh I well whenever I you know let's not be violent but then like I'm gonna have to be and then and then you're right. And then the whole creeper thing. It's like, and even the whole thing with them being tax collectors, the first like 20 minutes of the movie, the whole setup is how they know everything that goes on. They're the most powerful thing in the world. There's no other the cartel or gang or whatever they are that exists that can rival like the wizard. And then this one dude shows up with a van full of people and then manages to topple over this entire gigantic empire like it's nothing. <laughs> that would be like okay well we've got superman he's the most powerful superhero that ever existed watch as he steps in the ring to fight a badger and then the badger kills superman like what <laughs> it, it's so it, it's it's so contrived it's so bad there's there's literally nothing to care about and this is gonna sound insane for me because everyone you of all people should know this okay okay I hate real world violence with an utter passion. Right. I do. I don't even like to see people get hurt, like fail army type stuff or whatever, like people falling over, having accidents, skateboarding, whatever. I don't even like to watch that. Okay. Uh -huh. But when it comes to fiction, traditionally, I'm like, yes, let's take the gore and the action to a thousand percent. <laughs> I watched this movie and I was like, eh, no, this is gratuitous. <laughs> like they, 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 there is so much violence in this that 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 has zero justification or connectivity to the story, other than you just being like, it's a cartel. Yeah. Okay. Great. But you, my God, the violence is, is so graphic, and yet it's done in a way that it's it's not even jarring. It's not even shocking. It's just meaningless because you don't care about any of the that you've literally been giving nothing to care about through this whole movie. And it I think it sucks because again, the concepts and the opening, my gosh, like the first 10 to 20 minutes, I was like, oh, I like where this is going. <laughs> and then it's like you get to the second act, which is traditionally where movies go to die. And this is a great example of it. There's the, all of the setup that is done is a setup for a different movie, in my opinion. It's not set up for the movie and the journey that we actually go on. And even, even then, you get to the very end of this movie, and, and, and the, the whole giant epic showdown between uh, David and the actual antagonist, which is uh, someone from this cartel gang things past that they screwed over, and now 10 years later, he's come back to kill people. He goes and recruits these other gang members, the Bloods, uh, who he has done business with and has some degree of history with, which, again, we get a fraction of a percent as to what that history is or why these people would care enough to actually put their lives on the line to help David. But nevertheless, I digress. We get to this 
area where this this mega baddie is at. Okay, this guy that has managed to topple the the greatest cartel slash gang in the history of the world that has dominated all of all of California. This one guy manages to show up with a van full of people, and then he's staying at a house with three people guarding him. <laughs> what? And then and then David literally chokes one dude out with his own gun. Cool. Um, sneaks his way in is peeking through an opening of a door where the mega baddie dude and his right hand second is with him laying in bed. And he, what does he do? He kicks the door open instead of just shooting them in the face. Yep. Okay, fine. It's a movie. Those things need to transpire. That's great. What did we see before this? An entire sequence or scene rather of David practicing Brazilian jujitsu. Okay, <laughs> cool. This is going to go somewhere. It doesn't. It doesn't. They start fighting. The mega baddie dude gets on top of him, chokes him out. What do we get? A montage flashback of him practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I'm like, great. We're finally going to get it. He's going to do the Brazilian jiu-jitsu move. He's going to get out of this. He's going to win triumphantly, setting up and justifying all of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu that we saw earlier in the scene and the flashback to the Brazilian jiu-jitsu as he was being choked out. What does he do? Not Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He grabs a piece of the toilet and smashes it in the guy's head. Why did we have any of that flashback or any of that scene if you literally were not going to use any of it? None of it! Why? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I mean, also, this, this guy is the, 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 your main antagonist is so bad, but yet, he kills the mother, uh, David's wife, and then takes the kids, but then puts the kids with an old lady somewhere else and then, like, just forgets about them. Like, right. Doesn't have dudes watching the place or anything like that. Or, you know, they're they're fine. Oh, oh he got his kids back. All right. And then the, the old lady that's watching the kids, like, is like, oh, I know where he's at. I'll tell you kind of thing. That's it. That's- oh yeah, she like she was the last person you should have ever left those kids with, because she. I mean, she's like, I'll tell you where he's. At. I'll draw you a map. I'll, I'll you give me. I'll take you there right now. Let's go in my van, right? And and this not only that. Okay, again, things that get set up that never get utilized. We have they they showed this character. Okay, there is a satanic ritual sacrifice that this guy does before he goes and kills these people. So much so the fact that two naked women, one of them is painted just like the wall for some reason. And then like kind of comes out of the wall and takes the other lady and slices her throat open and starts dumping the blood on the mega baddie guy. And then you're telling me this is the same character that left these two kids that he just kidnapped with a Wayla. What? <laughs> what? Like, uh, it's, yeah. it's it, it, it doesn't make sense like there's everything that's set up is like it's set up to exist in a different movie it's it, it literally feels like this is two completely different movies that just got thrown into a blender and then they were like well whatever here it is like what what is that i mean that's i mean that yeah that that's the part that that's that I want to say that's the part that's the bad part about this movie. Like that is the movie. The movie just does not do well in telling its own story. That's, that's what's bad. The only good thing for me is that it has super great potential. Like there is a story there that I do want to see. It just isn't shown in this movie. (laughs) No one. And I, I, and, and that's why, like, again, like I'm not trying to just hate on this movie because I really think that if you, if you listen to this, and you're someone who's like, yeah, I want to be a creative in any capacity. This is a great movie to go watch to learn where things went wrong. Because mm-hmm. I agree with you. The the first like 10, 20 minutes of the, the whole setup thing, I'm like, this is fantastic. And David Ayer has a history of doing really great movies. I mean, he does have some that aren't as good, but that's inevitable. You're going to do that as a filmmaker. You're going to any creative, any artist, anything, any job you have, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to make mistakes. It's fine. But I mean, end of watch was great. Uh, Harsh times was pretty good. Sabotage, pretty decent, right? It was okay. It had its moments again, a very great concept. It could have been executed better, but 
in general, pretty pretty decent movie. I, I enjoyed parts of it. SWAT was okay. U571, which I think maybe he just did the screenplay. I don't know that he directed yeah, I don't that. Think he, but, he didn't direct that, no. But again, he he he's written great movies. He knows how to write a good story. Like, what the hell happened? And that's why I'm so upset because of what you just said. Like, there is a potential to be something truly different than what we've seen from these cartel type of movies. Mm-hmm. But it felt like, okay, we're setting all this up, but then we don't know how to make it pay off. So we're just going to make it a grotesque cartel fest. And that's how we're going to justify everything. And it's so upsetting to me because this this could have been like the John Wick of like cartel movies where it totally takes a genre, completely turns it on its head and slaps the audience in the face and be like, you never expected it to go that way. And it doesn't. It's just full of contrivance after contrivance after cliche. And I mean, you get to the end of the movie and he gets a call from the wizard who is this um, which everyone saw that coming from a billion miles away that the wizard was actually his father. (laughs) And again, even that he goes to get the money and he's telling his sister, I think it was his sister that, you know, she's like, where'd all that money come from? And he's like, Oh, it's from an armored truck that creeper and I robbed back in the day. And I'm like, great. Why didn't we ever see that? We never saw anything that would justify why creeper and all these people would just lay their lives down for this guy. But then she gives him a gun and she's like, this was your father's gun. Like it has many murders behind it and it never gets shown or used again. <laughs> he doesn't even kill the guy with it. Nope. He, he takes a gun off of the guy that he chokes out and then goes in there. He doesn't even kill the guy with his dad's gun. <laughs> Why? <laughs> So a little bit of trivia since you brought up harsh times. Please do, yeah. Uh, apparently the the gang member Bone, uh the blood gang member Bone is is the same character from Training Day and Harsh Times. So this movie exists in that same universe. Wow. Is those two movies. Interesting. And again, yeah. it, 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 he did Training Day too, right? That was He wrote him. Training Day. He didn't direct it. Sure, but still, that's that's honestly that's the number one thing that should matter the most is your screenplay. Like your story is the blueprint of everything for success. So like <laughs> David Ayer knows how to write good stories. What happened? <laughs> I'm like so disappointed because it again, there's so much potential. And it's so upsetting that it's not realized. I you know, I'm right there with you. I don't know. I I it like I said, it's it's an interesting movie. <laughs> you see it. If you watch enough movies you and you know the you know the history of, of the director, uh you, you know that there is there is the potential of a really good movie here, but it just does not live up to it. And then then you add into all the hype that happened when this movie was first being promoted. Um, because the the trailers and the promotions for this movie does make Shia LaBeouf seem like a bigger part of the movie. And then you have the idea of appropriation. Like, is Shia paint playing a Hispanic character? Is he, uh, you know, in there uh, playing as a white male, playing a part that should have went to a Hispanic male? Um as David Ayer goes on to explain, he says, no, he's a white guy that just lived in that culture. And it's very much the same as him, like David Ayer himself, mm-hmm. <laughs> the white guy who grew up in that culture and, and has an affinity for it. So. Well, and, and, and I, I think that's, that's, I think that's fair for us to talk about. I don't think that's what our particular podcast is about, but if you had, if you had thoughts, you go ahead and talk about it. Well, I was just going to say though, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It, it, I understand the whole dilemma with like the cultural appropriation, but I think the other thing you have to understand is just like what you said with, with David Ayer. I mean, like he, as far as I understand it, did grow up in not great parts of the world and had kind of a background. I don't want to say it was exactly like this because I don't think it was anywhere near this level, (laughs) but I'm just saying like, I, I think it's a little unfair to also just assess that, every single individual can't have a certain type of experience. You know what I mean? Like 
and I get, and it's so difficult for me to even say that because I understand that I'm coming from a place of unbelievable privilege and, and I'm not saying this lightly or, or excusing it, but I, I think the point is to showcase that creeper is someone. And, and again, I think this is another mark where it's missed because I think there's a lot of ambiguity about his character, but there are people that grow up in this type of lifestyle and in this like socioeconomic uh, bracket if you will and that have to deal with like gang violence and and all this sort of stuff and it's one of those things where to everyone else that doesn't have to experience that i think it's very easy for us to say that that would be cultural appropriation but i think if you really think about what is the context of this film it's a survival tactic because if he doesn't adapt into the world that is around him this world that is unbelievably disgustingly violent he would be dead. And I, I don't think this is a simple thing of him getting like this. I'm not talking the actor. I'm talking the character now. Right. Him, you know, being the way that he is, you know, and, and involving him in this in this lifestyle is survival. It's not I'm doing this because it's trendy and I want to make it a trend and move it into what's acceptable for me. It's very much if I don't do this, I'm going to be eaten alive by this street, you know, by these streets, by this culture and the society and so he goes off the deep into an extreme and becomes a complete sociopath i mean the, the, he's murdering everyone and i mean he's living the life of a cartel person i mean there's they talk about him chainsawing people to death and he's like the loose cannon you know i don't think that's him appropriating something to be like hey it's trendy it's survival and i think that should be the difference of how it's done in the story. I, I do understand where people are coming from, but I think it does make sense in the context of this story though. Fair. Okay. Does uh, that make sense or am no, I completely makes, wrong? No, that makes complete sense. And I think I'm, I'm falling right there with you and it, right, right along the same line. So was there anything in particular that you really enjoyed about the movie that you'd love to highlight? I, again, I, I, you know, I think it's disgusting and sad, but I really, I, I, I know more about Creeper's characters and his wants and his beliefs. And so it's, it's grotesquely easier to identify him as a character or with him as a character, which is not what you should be doing. No. Um, but again, his, his character is, in my opinion, infinitely more interesting than David's because again, he's making choices, he's doing things, and David's not. Like, he's just, even at the resolution of the film, he's still like, I'd never, I don't, I, I don't want any of this. I, I, I don't want it. And the dad's like, well, too bad. It's yours. Like, you, you have to, and he's like, no. Like, I just, I don't, I don't, and then that's it. So, I, and again, I think the whole concept of everything, like, and the backstory of of the two characters and maybe what the events that led up to this movie would have been a, a more interesting movie because there's certainly a lot of really interesting things to uh, there's the word again. There's certainly a lot of things that uh, are, are in this story that are much like the uh, power that we watched last uh, last podcast. I think it was or the podcast before it was the podcast yeah. before because we did American Pickle last time. But there's so many other things that would have been more fascinating to explore. There's so many other areas where the characterizations would have been a lot better to experience. And I think it would have had more connective tissue to an audience than than what we got. I mean, uh, the whole thing of where he goes to talk to his uncle and they're doing sign language in, in case the place is bugged or in case there's even someone that's there that's maybe a rat and it's like going to listen and overhear their conversation. Like, that was a really cool choice, but it's extremely minute and never really explored. And then there's all of these really amazing characters that are set up that have zero payoffs and and go completely against their setups. Um, and it reminds me like, uh, oh my gosh, do you remember that movie with like The Rock? It was like an old movie, but there's like a hitman that's like, he was like born basically like kind of disabled. And then he somehow manages to like walk again and like becomes a billionaire. And then he has like this dollar bill that's like framed. And everyone's like, oh, that's the first dollar that he made as a billionaire. And it's like, no, that's the first dollar he made as a hitman because he only takes hits for a dollar because he's already a billionaire. And he doesn't need the money and he's a complete psychopath. I think it's Drive maybe or Driven, something like that. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I, yeah. Um, I don't remember what it's called, though. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you remember yeah. that character. Yeah, yeah. 
And they do this huge elaborate setup for that character. And then he dies in like half a second. And <laughs> and it's that moment where it's like that character was and, and that character struggles and stories were infinitely more exciting than what happened in the movie. And that's this like th- there is so much potential uh, with the cast. Like, the, the, I mean, like even George Lopez is kind of like this cartel boss. I was like not expecting that. And he does a really good job. Uh, but it's so short lived and and the payoff is just not there. And maybe that was the thought. Maybe the thought was I'm going to make a movie that showcases that all these people that think they have power don't really have power. It just doesn't come off that way. And I think it's so unfortunate because I think there is such a, a, a crazy movie that could be here. And I, I, and I wish that it was, I really wish that it was, I just don't think it's there. That's fair. Uh, all right, folks, that's our review or discussion of The Tax Collector. If you have a different opinion or would like to talk to us more about our opinion, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Where can people find you online, Richard? Ooh, now I'm, I, I mean, I've said a lot of stuff today, so I'm like really afraid of maybe, <laughs> like, especially after watching this movie, please uh, don't don't send the, the film cartel after me or anything. Um, they can find me on Twitter at Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N, and you can also find me on uh, Twitch at twitch.tv slash Ry Cohen and the number one. You can tell me how wrong I am. I would love to, I, I would love to hear it. I, I don't have to be right. <laughs> the rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geekleetmedia.com. Uh, please check out our Patreon page. We have lots of bonus material there. We, Richard and I, even like, did last was it last week or the week before that we did the special podcast about um uh film uh, marketing no Taika Waititi and James Gunn oh i think that was i think that was two ago two ago okay i think so we yeah we did that so that was uh that was a uh, you know that's that's one of the benefits that you can, you get to dictate what it is that we talk about and uh that's one of the tiers so you can uh, check us out on Patreon. And then whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us so that the spreading of our network can hit other people and possibly get them to also listen to us. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. 